Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, we're so glad that you're joining with us online. And as Pat mentioned just a moment ago, uh, we are planning and hoping to return to our Philippians series. But while we do that, it would be, it'd be completely pointless uh, to not take notice and acknowledge um, that we've had quite a week. Uh, seems like the most frequent news cycle that I've ever been a part of as things were coming out every hour and we just watched uh, different rule after different cancellation and, and things have been changing all around us. And you noticed as we even returned to our, our series, we, we uh, altered the video intro to our series, but I, I wanted to come back to the beginning of the letter of Philippians. As we come back to this, and, and our title is Real Joy, here's something that, that God brought to my attention this week as we were preparing to come back to the F book of Philippians in this crazy time. This is what Paul says at the beginning of this letter. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I thank my God in my remembrance of you. Before we continue, we have to acknowledge that Philippians is, among all its other things, a letter written from a pastor to a church that he's not present with. I thank my God in my remembrance of you. They're not physically together. And then verse 4, always in my prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And so let that be our call uh, this morning, this week, this month, as we navigate through this, that there is joy to be found in who God is. There is joy to be found in being the church, even when we are not physically able to gather. And, and it also brings to mind uh, just some of the sovereignty of God as, as we come to this particular passage today, that God knows what he's doing, and just a little comfort that God is in control. Because we find ourselves this morning... Uh, finishing chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. We're in verses 19 through 30. And there's two different ways that we arrived at these verses this morning. Uh, we are at the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, on this particular Sunday, March 15th of the year 2020, for two reasons. Something's happening on the human level, and something's happening on the divine level. On the human level, it's fairly simple. We're going through Philippians, and, and there's this teaching team that meets and gathers, and, and Scott is helping us navigate and direct the passages. And as we begin Philippians chapter 2, it speaks of unity. Okay, Pastor Scott has that. That's his jam. And then we get into the, the meat, the famous Christological verse of Philippians 2, that, that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And there's this incredible theology. Okay, that goes to Sanjay. And then we come out of that and, and there's this awesome uh, call to be the church, to live that out together. Well, that's the, that's the human relationship as we represent God with one another. That also goes to Scott. And then we get to this really awkward part that feels like it should just be at the end of the letter and nobody knows what to do. That goes to me. And so here we are. That's what's happening at the human level. That's why we're here at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. But here's what's happening on the divine level. Paul, as he writes this, is isolated. He's not sick himself. He's in prison, 
can't be with the people that he wants to be, and he chooses in this moment to smush into the middle of this letter uh, three things that he wants to talk about. He takes a break from all the theology and he writes about three things. The people he cares about the most, travel plans, and sickness. I think this is unbelievable that this is where God has brought us to this moment for this day to remind us that nothing is outside of his control. So don't take my word for it. I want to read these 11 verses here. Um, If you don't have a Bible this morning, would you please raise your hand and our ushers are somewhere. I assume they'll drive you a Bible. Tommy's here on site. Tommy's guaranteed to come bring you a Bible right now this morning. Um, Okay, so Bibles are devices. Here we go. Philippians 2 verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here's what I see that's particularly of interest um, as Paul writes this letter. He, he really has been uh, penning some of the best theology that the church has. And he, he writes of the, the nature of Jesus come to earth and how the church is supposed to live out their lives. And yet... Before continuing on to the next point, he takes a moment to write about these two particular individuals, about Timothy and about Epaphroditus. And and I had to read and reread and compare to other letters before it finally occurred to me that these are some of Paul's closest friends that he had at any point in his life. A younger friend, Timothy, and and maybe more of an age equal in Epaphroditus, two of his closest friends. And and you contrast that with some of chapters 1 and 2, that there are verses that we've memorized, and there's this great theology. And and now there's this, this short little honest, just couple of paragraphs about some really important friends to Paul. 
And it really is ordinarily the type of thing that you'd put at the end of a letter. Uh, you you kind of do some more of your practical business things and, and we wrap the letter up in that way and say hi to this guy and remember my friend over here. But, but he puts it here at the end of chapter 2 because Timothy and Epaphroditus are, are so important to Paul and they're such living examples of what he's been talking about in the letter until now that, that they're here. Um, to, to demonstrate their importance to him, their meaningfulness to him, and also the way that they lived out the lessons that Paul had been writing ahead of time. And so I would like for just a moment to, to leave the book of Philippians. We're going to come back to it to finish up. Um, we're going to turn to the book of, of John because while Paul will write about two of his closest friends, and he's going to kind of tease out this incredibly important biblical theme of friendship, and he'll describe his friends and relate them to the lessons that he's been teaching, he got his example from Jesus. And so as we turn back a few books uh, to the book of John, the fourth gospel, fourth book in the New Testament, John chapter 15, what I see that begins here that Paul's able to continue is that Jesus actually made us his friends, and it's Jesus who defined friendship. So for just a moment, I'm going to step out. We're going we're gonna to move back to the book of John chapter 15, verses uh, 12 and on. And so Jesus says to his disciples, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Again, Jesus speaking, the creator of the universe, God come to earth. Verse 14, you are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. I love that at, at the end there. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what a master is doing, but I call you friends. This is actually huge for us See, in other religions, whenever a God figure shows up, they're shrouded in mystery. There's powers they have that no one has access to. The way they got there is unknown. Their purpose is often hidden. Their, their relationships, the nature of who they are. Whenever a God figure shows up in other uh, religious stories, there's an incredible amount of mystery. And here's Jesus sitting with apparently his friends, and he's telling them, I can call you that because you know what I'm doing. We, we have this amazing invitation to know the God of the universe in a real and tangible way, and he did that. Jesus opened himself up to being known by other humans, and he's proud of it here. He's saying this is not just an accident. This was the goal. This was something I set out to accomplish. They were friends because Jesus let them in to some of his loneliness and his fear and the real struggles of traveling Israel and doing what Jesus did. And soon they were witness to his own betrayal. 
And what I see here is Jesus is defining friendship is, is to have a friend means to have somebody who really knows you. They have to know something that's deep and meaningful to you. Maybe even something that hurts, but, but they know a significant piece of who you are. Um, we have a silly little story of this. So about a month ago, if you were here, my wife Lauren and I dedicated our, our daughter Emery. Uh, and, and if you remember, we, we kind of stood about here and we had this little row and they, they made me read that stupid letter, which is apparently not a thing I'm capable of doing in public because I made it two words in. I said, Dear Emery, and I lost it. Started crying in front of everybody. All my students are over here. My mom's right here. My dad's over here. You're not supposed to cry in front of your dad, I think. I don't know. But so this, this weird, awkward moment. But something crazy happened when we finally, you know, 25 minutes later, got through that letter. Uh, at afterwards, I had so many of you coming up to me. Um, I stood in different places. People went out of their way to find me, to tell me that they had experienced some sort of personal connection in that moment. And I even got the guys coming up, they were like, girl, dad, we got you. Like, I understand what you just went through. You have to be able to do something like that on, on a more personal, a more extended, uh, a one-on-one -on -one type of level to build real, as Jesus defined it, friendship. We have to have those moments where, where something that's uncomfortable in us gets known by another person and we're able to share in that and it actually grows and strengthens our bond and you are well on your way to true friendship at that point. So that's, that's the first part. Here's the second part as Jesus goes about defining this comes from verse 13. As Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that, that someone would lay down their life for their friends. Now I wanna say something about this verse because this is, this is a verse that I'd heard a lot um, and unfortunately, I, I think I've heard it wrong and understood it wrong before because that's not a thing that I relate to very well. And I think it's lazy Bible study to conclude, well, John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Therefore, the biblical application is that we should go out and die for a friend. I, 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 that's not very attainable. That's not something we relate to on a daily basis. And I don't believe the Bible's goal is for us to have all of these little missions that we can go out and only accomplish one time. I think here Jesus is, is talking about the cross, but he's not only talking about the cross. Do you know what Jesus has just done before having this conversation? We're in John 15, a couple of chapters back. Jesus did something and that prompted this whole conversation. Jesus has just finished washing his disciples' feet. It was, it was the famous foot washing. Jesus did an act that surprised them. Some of them didn't want Jesus to do it. It was a time-consuming thing. It was even a little bit humiliating. And so we see Jesus doing different things on the sacrificial love spectrum. 
He did something in a, in a real, physical, tangible way as he stepped down and put himself into a lower position and did a time-consuming and humiliating thing for his friends. He also did this ultimate thing, that there is no greater love than what he did. But he makes sacrificial love a challenging, essential, yet attainable element of real friendship. And in fact, those are, I think, the two elements of biblical friendship as Jesus defines them. He, he, he demonstrates that biblical friendship, friendship the way that Jesus did it, comes by knowing somebody deeply and by demonstrating sacrificial love. By knowing someone deeply and demonstrating sacrificial love. And the worship team is going to come back up here. We're actually going to take a, a pause in the message here because as Jesus is defining and demonstrating friendship, he also did live that all the way out to its fullest. That Jesus embodied and he completed John 15, 13. That greater love has no one than this. There is no greater love than what Jesus demonstrated for his friends that someone lay down their life for his friends. And as he himself mentioned, Jesus carried it out all the way. This is not just an act that he did. This is not just uh, a death and a resurrection. This is also Jesus bringing us in to friendship with him in the most ultimate, life-giving, sacrificial act that he could accomplish. And so let's continue for a moment as we reflect on the friendship of Jesus Christ through the partaking of communion together. Amen. Thank you, worship team, so much. Um, as we continue, this is a bit of an, an extended uh, application conclusion, if you will, not not just because of coronavirus, uh, because of Jesus and the word of God. And so coming back to Philippians chapter 2, after Jesus has defined friendship and then modeled it for us, I see even, even in what Jesus did, if we think to the story of the Garden of Gethsemane, the last thing that Jesus did as a free person before he was betrayed and arrested and the events sort of ushered him towards the cross, Jesus went alone to pray and he took with him his closest friends. He took Peter and James and John to a quiet place and he asked them to help pray for and with him for what he was about to do. He, in his humanity, Jesus surrounded himself with friends. And so I wanted with that to return us to Philippians 2 to, to bring this um, to our lives today. And my main point here is this. Life is hard True friends are rare, and sometimes we just need encouragement. 
So to, back to the beginning of our verse. This is what Paul has to say. This, this more has to do with Timothy, and the second half has to do with Epaphroditus. So back to chapter 2, verse 19. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Verse 20, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. For I have no one like him. I have no one like him. No one. One of the worst human emotions is aloneness. And if it weren't for his friend Timothy, I think Paul would feel very much alone. If you've ever been to a DS1 here or, or connected to North Shore, you've heard this verse before, Genesis 3:14. God speaks immediately after creation and says, it is not good for man to be alone. I do life primarily with students, and, and the number one reason that students don't come to group or, or a gathering is because they don't feel like they have any friends. And that continues with us for some time, but, but, but eventually there seems to be a turning point. On the flip side of that, many adults that I know sort of give up on the whole making friends thing. Many adults, especially men, seem to learn to just deal with it. And I believe what the Bible challenges us to is not to just settle for dealing with it. And sometimes I wonder, as I look at what Paul's writing here, this may hit you the wrong way, but I wonder if we settle for less in our friendships when we're at the same time settling for less than the destiny to which God has called us. Jesus does not call his followers to just clock in log some hours with no purpose and no intentionality, to return home for an entire evening of Netflix, maybe be part of, of one like-minded group where we interact once a month and repeat week after week. We don't need friends for that. And this is real right now as, as some of those types of things are even being impressed upon us. You can't do this type of thing. You can't go to that sort of place. And immediately in our humanness, we start to feel, well, well, those relationships were important to me. Those connections I had, those things I was able to do, those ways of serving, whatever it might be, that, that weighs on us. And so we can feel those types of things. But, but remember again here what Paul says, Philippians 2. To verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served not me, he has served with me in the gospel. A friend doesn't serve me, a friend serves alongside me, not just for no purpose, not for the sake of being together and having a laugh, a friend serves with me in the gospel. I think when we need a friend the most is when we are fiercely contending on mission for what Jesus has called us. The Christian's journey is a hard one. Representing Jesus to a watching world filled with sinful people out there 
I'd say sinful people in here, but right now it's just the worship team and my mom, so that doesn't work. But with sinful people as part of this congregation, and then with the sin that's in here within me, that is just plain hard. Why would you try to do it alone? For me, trying to duplicate Jesus' example in various forms has been the hardest thing that I've ever done. You can do the right thing for the right reason and, and people can get mad at you because they do not believe in the Lord Jesus as their savior and don't have a biblical worldview. And that's hard. Sometimes you can do the right thing for the right reason and some of those people are mad at you even though they do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, as Lord and Savior and you've offended them or wronged them in some way. That's even harder. The very hardest is spending uncountable hours with people trying to reflect the example of Jesus Christ, trying to model discipleship and spend time with them and then after significant time together, they might still demonstrate some area of life that is far from God, and those are the hardest of all. In those moments when I need support, my wife Lauren has been a friend. She's been my best friend, but she can't be my only friend. In those times, I still need somebody else, whether it's some other pastor or somebody else who's passionate about the Bible or maybe literally just anybody who believes in Jesus so that I can say, why is making disciples so hard? And they can say, I know, right? And then I am encouraged. Because I'm not alone, because I know that there is more. Life is hard. True friends are rare. And we should search hard for them and cherish them like Paul here because they are examples, they are physical living demonstrations of how God wants to encourage us. And so as we transition to this next part here, Paul, Paul includes some of the strengths of those friends. And, and what I was uh, realizing as I was thinking through this topic and writing this, that we can't expect friendship to happen to us. We can't expect friendship without being a friend. That's the height of selfishness. We can't expect other people to be a friend for us if we are not a friend for them. And so with that in mind and the example of Jesus Christ, I believe also we are called to be friends. And what's crazy here is Paul lists out some of the qualifications. These are two, two of his closest friends. And so I thought maybe we should learn how they were friends to Paul. And I'll just go through some of these again quickly in this same passage, verses 19 through 30. We've already seen several of them in Timothy, that there's no one who's genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. Others seek their own interests, but not, not Timothy. Timothy does do that. He served alongside Paul in the gospel. I also noticed that he calls Timothy his son, and then in verse 25, he calls Epaphroditus his brother and his fellow worker and his fellow soldier. And so there's an attitude there of, of familial closeness. They are as family. They are as co-workers. They are as fellow soldiers. There's time spent and difficult things accomplished together. And then he says also in verse 25 that Epaphroditus has been a minister to my needs. And then in verse 26 that he has been longing for you. He cares for them 
to the point of stress and then finally wraps it up by saying he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I say all that to say that the list of qualifications, what it is required to be a friend, was surprising to me. Because I I didn't see some of the things that we overvalue in this culture. I didn't see Bible degrees, leadership skills, evangelistic fervor, musical ability, world-shaping vision. It, it, It doesn't say anywhere that these people are incomparable at prayer or speaking or planning churches. It doesn't say that they had any money to offer him, that they were important and popular and valuable. It doesn't say even that they had a hilarious personality. How great a reminder in this high performance culture that friendship does not require you to bring any skill to offer your friends. What friendship the Jesus way demands of us is nothing more skillful than to be a friend. We all want to have friends, and and we would agree that it's better to have friendships that are strong than friendships that are weak, but we must be a friend first. And so here's here's what's cool for us. This This is Paul writing this to the church the greatest of missionaries, the greatest of pastors. And it's almost like he writes, it's not what you know, it's who you know. As he very clearly states that none of this would have been possible if not for his friends. We can accomplish so much by being great friends. And I don't mean that in an isolated click sort of way, but by demonstrating these qualities in our relationships with a few. The reach of great friends does not get smaller as friendships grow, it gets bigger. The church does not become more exclusive as it gets better at friendship, it becomes more inclusive. So I wanted to bring this home with a few questions here. As I was Going again through this passage, what do, we, what do we do with this? Why is it part of a New Testament letter in our Bibles? And I think it is a call that we should grow in our theology, but it's also a call that we should grow in our humanity. And I truly believe this, that if the example of Jesus Christ does not transform our friendships, then we don't truly understand his example yet. Friendship is for us to receive. It's a God-given gift. It's for us to give. It is a call. But it is also for us to reflect on Christ and the way that he lived his mission. And so for us here this week, this will be new uh, as we journey through this process of uh, streaming our services. We wanted to end with some questions that we can continue to work on these things throughout the week, whether you're with your family right now, your life group, by yourself, whether you're dedicating a specific time to get together. But we wanted to continue to live this out at the church, as the church. 
And so we have three questions here for discussion. And with the joy of technology, you can hit pause at any time and you can reflect on these. You can sort them out right now. You can return to them later. And so we're going to walk through these, not spending too terribly much time, but so that you can have them and we can continue to grow in this together. And so knowing that, I, I believe truly, if the example of Jesus Christ does not transform our friendships, we have not gotten it yet. And so here's the first one, going back to Jesus defining friendship and modeling it for us. The question is simply, what's your next step in demonstrating, living out, modeling, being an example of Jesus' sacrificial love in friendship? What does that look like this week? What does it look like right now that things are more complicated than they would normally be, but also potentially you might have more time than you might normally have? What does it look like for you right now to reflect Jesus Christ's sacrificial love in friendship? I'm not even going to give examples. This is for us to work through together this week. And so as we move to that second point, that we, we need friends, Paul demonstrates that very clearly. We, we need friends, God, to encourage us through that. Here's the second question. Even before this week changed much of our daily life, before coronavirus, before quarantines and, and canceled, canceled plans, were you in a pattern of self-isolating? Do you cultivate a character that invites friendship, that, that encourages people to come be your friend, whether it is because you have allowed people to know you deeply or because you have demonstrated some sort of sacrificial love? Are you inviting that in? What strongholds of independence might you need to release to let God comfort you through a friend? As we dwell on that, what, what, what areas have we created an idol that, that holds us back in, in fear or hesitation or worry or whatever it might be to, to allow for greater friendship in our lives? And then the third piece is we are called to be friends. Are your friendships at the level you want them to be? And I would encourage us to be specific right now. Think of, think of one friend, whether it's through text or some way that we're all uh, dealing with each other a little bit differently this week. What, what is a friendship that has either faded over time or, or not grown into what it maybe could be in terms of serving alongside one another and mutual encouragement and living on mission? Where, where is that? Identify that in your life. And what might you be able to do to grow that friendship. So three questions for us. I, I hope together that we are pondering these throughout the week. Um, I hope that we have gospel-minded conversations as we go in whatever way that looks like. As we're, as we're lacking a physical presence right here, we still have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We still have the scriptures and we still have one another. And I would encourage us to move forward with these things each day this week. Um, so let me pray for us as we do so. God, we ask that you would guide us today, individually, in our relationship with you, in the things that you are teaching and speaking to us right now as we are wrestling with who you are, as we are wrestling with how we can follow you. We ask that you 
would be so clear and present and powerful in our lives that we will follow you well. And then corporately, we ask that you guide us as well. Help us to, to, to understand what it means to be the church. There are Christians individually, and then there are, there's the power of Christians together. And, and this is a time where we're forced to look at and discover what those things mean. And so, God, in our relationship with you, in our personal friendships, in our uh, understanding of what it means to be part of North Shore, God, I pray that you would speak all of that to us this week. Thank you that you are so much bigger than anything that we could worry about right now. That you are eternal. And we are grateful for that. And we thank you as we sung this morning that the death and life and resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything as we hope in him and what he has accomplished for us. It is in these things and in your name we pray amen well we thank you for joining with us this morning or afternoon or evening or whenever you're here watching with us please continue to pray and be the church and thank you for uh, taking part in this service as part of north shore community church